Hey Northridge family, next week is Father's Day, and we wanted to do something special. So during all four services next weekend, we will be closing the front of our parking lot to host a classic car show, where everyone, especially dad, can come out and check out tons of sweet classic cars. If you or someone you know owns a classic car, bring it on down before any of our four services and show it off. And if that's not enough, you will also have the opportunity to see a true collector's item, an actual DeLorean driven by Michael J. Fox and signed by the actors of Back to the Future. So spread the word and let's celebrate Father's Day in a classic way. This year's outdoor baptism is happening on June 25th. If you've taken the step of faith in Christ and would like to take the next step through baptism, now's your chance. Interviews for outdoor baptism will be available after each service in room 1201. If you can't attend one of these opportunities, go to northridgechurch.com baptism to fill out an application. Oh, I'm trapped in 
So this part of my house, no one's been in it for years. I built the safe room and I don't let no one in there. Cause if I do, there's a chance that they might disappear and not come back. And I admit I am emotionally scared to let anyone inside. So I just keep my doors locked. You might get other doors to open up, but this door's not. Cause I don't want you to have the opportunity to hurt me. And I'll be the only person I can blame when you desert me. I'm barricaded inside, so stop watching. I'm not coming to the door, so stop knocking, stop knocking, I'm trapped here. God keeps saying I'm not locked and I chose this. I am lost in my own conscience. I know that shutting the world out ain't solving the problem, but I didn't build this house because I thought it would solve it. I built it because I thought that it'd be safer in there, but it's not. I'm not the only thing that's living in here. Fear came to my house years ago and I let him in. Maybe that's the problem because I've been dealing with this ever since I thought that he would leave, but it's obvious he never did. He must have picked a room and got comfortable and settled in. Now I'm in a position to either sit here and let him win or put him back outside where he came from, but I never can. Because in order to do that, I have to open the door. Is that me or the fear talking? I don't know anymore. That's an absolutely powerful song, and I have to tell you, it's put together by two young but very popular artists, N.F. and Flurry, and Flurry happened to have grown up here at Northridge and developed here at Northridge, and I, I tell you, the, the creative team here at Northridge Church handed me the link to this song uh, and said, you, you really need to listen to this and look at this. I, it might inspire you for something that we as a church could benefit from. And if you know our creative team, I kind of immediately filed it away for a later day. I didn't, but I was in the midst of studying and I had finished a talk and what I had had to do. And so I brought that link out and I thought I'd listen to the song once and push it to the side, but I listened to the song once and it impacted me so much that I, I had to listen to it again and again and again, I've, I've actually learned that, that when something impacts me like that, especially in the world of creativity, God might be wanting to say something a little bit deeper to me, and so I just focused on it. And out of that song has erupted this series we call Rooms. Because these young artists have captured what I believe is an unbelievably relevant and powerful metaphor of, of our lives. You, you know houses. We, we all live in some kind of shelter, some kind of home here. And, and in our world, we spend a ton of time trying to make the outside of our homes look phenomenal. I mean, we, we call it curb appeal, you know? And boy, if we can make that thing out from the landscaping to the house, people will think, you know, just be attracted to that house, it'll be a beautiful thing, and, and yet it's on the inside where life is really lived. And often, a house looks very different on the outside, usually better than it does on the inside. In fact, even the best of houses, even those who, that are made for company, there are always, and we all know this, there are always those rooms in there where you will never invite anyone, right? In fact, I've visited enough homes to know that very often when the knock on the door comes, they're scurrying to throw crap in some room somewhere so no one will know. In fact, Roxanne and I came up with a whole method. This is great strategy. We, whenever we had a knock on the door we weren't expecting, we just dragged out the vacuum cleaner and put it in the living room and pretended we had been cleaning the house. <laughs> just kind of how we are with our houses. But but isn't it true that no matter how beautiful a home is, it's, 
it's got those hidden rooms, those private rooms, and this is very often how our lives are. We spend a great deal of time creating lives with curb appeal to show off an image, to create an image for people to have of us that, that if you get deep inside our lives, they won't see the rooms that really define us, that really show who we are. And that's what this song is about. These young people captured it. In fact, I, I don't know if you really delve deeply into the lyric or not, but I'm gonna tell you, I, I, I wanna highlight it because you need to know that this is relevant to each and every one of us, wherever we are in our lives. They said, my mind is a house with walls covered in lyrics. They're all over the place. They're, there's songs in the mirrors written all over the floors, all over the chairs, and that's exactly what our team has created here, this, this room that, that finds its decoration in the, the words, in the hurts that we've experienced. And, and it literally becomes our walls and our furniture and our, the lives of these hidden rooms, not the public rooms, not the rooms we invite people into, but the hidden rooms of our lives can be defined by all this negativity and I loved it when they said and you get the uncut version of life when I go downstairs if I ever invite you into the downstairs room of my life they're saying that's where you get the uncut version the unpublic version the the real me this is real isn't it that's why we don't invite people too deeply into our lives. That's why when people ask us how we're doing, we give them the front porch answer, the front yard answer, the, the living room answer. We, we don't give them the private room answer, the basement answer. Because if they ever came into those parts of our lives, if we ever opened those parts of life, our lives, even to those that we're closest to, maybe we've been married to someone for decades and they still have never really been invited into the deeper rooms of our home because there they would find the uncut version and the uncut version is very, very different than the one we've made for public consumption. But it's the inside one that's the real one that determines whether we're experiencing the life of fullness that God's created for us or not. They, they go on and they say, you might get a glimpse of how I cope with all this anger in me if you actually come into the downstairs, the hidden room of my life where the uncut version is experienced. You're going to see my life is filled with anger and the poison of resentment and regret and dread and lonely. You're going to see a very different me. And, and then they t make the turn and they say, and you know, all of this anger and all this stuff that I stuff into the hidden rooms of my life, it... It's come because of the hurts that I've experienced in this world. And so they say, congratulations. You'll always have a room in my mind. There'll always be a room decorated with your words, with your betrayal, with your hurts. It will always define who I am. So I've got to thank you for this anger that I carry around. It comes from you. And then kind of close off that first verse with, I'm going to keep the door shut and lock the lyrics inside like that's possible. So not. It's going to leak out. This is so relevant to us as human beings, whoever we are on the human journey, whatever, <laughs> listen, whatever the curb appeal of your life might be, this is relevant to you because we live in a world filled with pain and filled with hurt and filled with the things that, that very often we want to shut in the basement of our lives. Psalm 90 verse 10 is just one of just hundreds of verses that say this. It says, our days may come to 70 years or 80. We may live a really long time if our strength endures, yet even the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and they fly away. All of us, as we walk through this journey of life and experience hurts and troubles, all of us have private and hidden rooms in our lives that don't fit the image we've created. All of us have this place where the uncut version of us really lives and some of us might live there all alone even though we have many people who are around us all the time. We have these rooms in our lives that don't live up to what people think we are. 
right? The interesting thing about this song, it's so creative to me, and I believe the most creative people in the world should be the people who know the creator. And what's so beautiful about this song is I think they captured even in the genre of music they use this deal because, you know, the song starts out with this beautiful, beautiful female voice singing in these beautiful tones. Now, if you listen to the lyric, the lyric doesn't match the tones because the lyric is expressing the frustration and the darkness of the consequence of living a life with all of these hidden rooms. But, it, but, the, but the front porch of this song is so sweet and so nice, but then when they invite you further into the room of the song, it gets angry and gets harsh and more and more harsh. And isn't that just like life? But let me just tell you something. Jesus created us to live inside and out on the surface and as deep as you can go, lives to the full. We're not created to experience the best of life with hidden rooms of darkness. He made it possible for us to know life, but we have to let him clean us out. And until we do, we're going to experience darkness. On this wonderful start of the song, the chorus, they, one of the phrases they've written is broken legs, but I chase perfection. And as I listen to this song over and over and over again, I tried to get something out of that. I'm gonna tell you, I, I, it just impacted me. Because you see, I, I chase perfection. And I'm not talking about the, the perfectionistic negativity that we learn about in psychology. I'm talking about I am constantly chasing after what God created me for. He created me in his image. Fearfully and wonderfully am I made, but it's like I'm always longing for it, but it's always out of reach. I, 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 I'm trying to get there and it's like broken legs chasing for perfection. I'm limping and crawling through life, but I can't get to where I wanna get. And that's it's all in the hidden rooms of my life and yours, right? These walls are my blank expression. My mind is a home I'm trapped in. It's true. I mean, my, the walls of my life have been written on by all kinds of things and often negativity and darkness and just cruelty has been expressed in my life. And so my mind then becomes this place where I'm trapped. It's a home I'm trapped in. Same with yours. We're a product of our own minds. All the things we've experienced are like lyrics decorating the rooms of our lives, defining who we are, trapping us. And then kind of the end of the chorus and the end of the song, ultimately, it's lonely inside this mansion. If that's not a metaphor of life, people think they know us, but we're all alone because they don't really know the real us. We're living in the private rooms, right? They know the public us. They don't know the private us. They know the open us, they don't know the hidden us, and it's lonely in there, isn't it? There are people who can be in relationships for decades and still be all alone because they're afraid to let people see the uncut version of themselves. Sadly, I think this song describes the reality of most people's lives, most of our lives, if we're really honest. We're trapped in a world of resentment, regret, and loneliness, and hurt. We try to hide all that pain in the private hidden parts of our lives. We try to lock it away. We try to keep it behind closed doors. We try to bury it in the basement, but it doesn't work. It ultimately destroys us. It keeps us longing for more, you know, chasing for perfection on broken legs. The good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. Listen, Jesus made it possible for us to change the song of our lives, to write and live a very different one. This is, this is what we're going to be looking at in this series. You know, Jesus made it possible for the, for the song of our lives to start out angry and then to turn out sweet, for the hidden rooms of our lives to become the purest rooms of our lives, for fulfillment and light to be real and to prevail in our lives. He's made it possible, and that's what we're going to look at, all of these hidden rooms, and we're going to look at them by name, and we're going to see what we can do about them, and, and we're going to experience what Jesus said we could if we know his truth, freedom. This week, we're going to look at the room of resentment. For me, I would have to make it plural, the rooms of resentment. And we're going to look at those. And here's the truth I, I want you to see. Resentment is a destructive force. And it's a destructive force that 
that grows and expands in our lives in exponential ways as we focus on our hurts. I mean, it just grows and expands. And all of us have this potential because of the hurts and the pain and the trouble we experience in this world. As we focus on that, it, it can become damaging. And I, I tell you, God has not ignored the reality of, of this room in our lives. In fact, he gave us a whole book built around the story of a guy who really knew what it was like to experience the hurts that led to resentment, to live in these hidden rooms, but then to ultimately see God rebuild his life in a new way. And the guy's name is Job. He's in the Old Testament, and Job loved God as most people in his world didn't, and Job lived for God as most people in his world didn't, and wouldn't you think normally if someone in a, in a world where God wasn't loved and God wasn't lived for, that if someone loved God and lived for God, their life would be just all sunshine? Wouldn't you think that's how it was? That's, that's how it feels it should be, but that's not how it is. He loved God and lived for God, but he lost everything. He lost his children, he lost his wealth, everything he'd ever worked for, and he lost his health. And we find him in the book of Job, ultimately, though God bragged on his life, we find him sitting on a dump, scraping his skin with broken pottery. He was just absolutely debilitated. There were basically only two things he didn't lose. He didn't lose his wife and he didn't lose three of his friends. And in the end, if I was Job, I would have wished those were the ones who had been taken out. Because here he is in the worst of trouble, needing some encouragement and his precious bride came to him and looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Now there was a good chapter in their marriage. Really? curse God and die. And then his friends showed up and they were really friends. They came, they supported him, they sat with him a long time, but when they opened their mouth, they did everything wrong. They were of the stripe, as many of us are, to think that he was suffering like this. He had to have done something wrong. Whatever it was, he's hiding it. We'd already seen in this book that God was saying, no, he wasn't doing anything wrong. Bad things happen to good people. And it, Job's a great example that you can love God even a world where you are experiencing no love at all. We pick up his story in Job chapter two and I'm just gonna jump all the way through the book and the friends just show up and it says they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. So get the, get the picture in Job 2.13. He's sitting on this garbage pile and his friends are around him, seven days and seven nights. He'd been there before and no one's speaking, which means all he's doing is thinking about what? The pain, the hurt, he's traveling in those inner rooms. It looks like this, all the different things that are going on in his life. These rooms are being built. And after this, Job opened his mouth, Job 3.1, and cursed the day of his birth. The truth is that resentment is a destructive force that grows in us as we focus on our hurts, and that's exactly what he did. He got to the place where he said, I wish I had never been born. In fact, it wasn't that. He cursed the day of his birth. And then he said, why is light given to those in misery? And why is life given to the bitter of soul? Why? God, he's so angry. Why would you even let me be born if this is what I'm going to be? And the good times he'd experienced didn't make up for this bitter time of soul, and he was just angry. And then in Job 23, 2, after much of the song is said, much of his story is talked about, it says, even today my complaint is bitter. There's resentment for you. And he looked up in heaven and it goes, his hand, this is his resentment just right at God. His hand is heavy on me in spite of my groaning. He doesn't care. He was focusing on his hurts, and man, did resentment grow. And I think there are some things we need to know about resentment. Because it's a room that all of us have, most of us have, like I do, more than one room of resentment. And you just need to know that resentment is this destructive force, but, but resentment can get its grip on you. It becomes even more potent and more powerful when when the hurts you're experiencing aren't general but specific, resentment is most potent when those we love hurt us. 
That's what Job says in chapter 19, verse 19. He says, all my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. He didn't say everybody in the world. All my intimate friends detest me. All I love have turned against me. His wife, his friends. And he had God in mind here too, right? Your hand's heavy on me. I, I, I don't know why you're doing this to me. We live in a world of pain and hurt, but that's pretty easy to deal with as long as it's far away. I, here's what I found. I have found that when someone I don't know and someone who doesn't know me says something really hurtful or does something really hurtful to me, it, it doesn't affect me that much. You know, I live a, a relatively public life and, and you know, this stuff about social media and anybody can say anything they want. Man, you wouldn't believe some of the cruel and mean things that have been said about me. And I'm going to tell you, I, I don't know these people. They don't know me. So it, it doesn't hurt all that much. And I don't like it. I mean, I know how awesome I am and I want them to know how awesome I am. But, but uh, it doesn't... Yeah, right. But anyway, it's like... But honestly, they don't know me. I don't know them. It's like, it's out there. So, I mean, it's pretty easy to resolve that stuff. I mean, I just give a little arm gesture and, you know, go on my way. It's kind of easy. But, you know, I'm a pastor, so I never do that in, you know, on the front porch. I don't do it <laughs> at the curb. I go into the private rooms of my house and then I give real arm gestures. I don't even just give the idea that I'm giving them, you know, and... But I, they don't hurt that much, but you know, I'm gonna tell you, and this is so important for you to understand. When it's someone we love, and it's someone that should genuinely love us, and they hurt us, that goes deep. This is why Job was so upset. It was like, God, why are you doing this to me? Why, friends, why? It becomes a powerful force that defines us. It, it becomes a room in our lives that we can't escape. It is just a dangerous thing. It destroys us. And we can look all great on the front porch, but you know what's inside, right? You have to understand that resentment affects us in very negative ways. It affects our ability to think and react wisely. When we are filled with this internal bitterness and anger, we say things we would have never said otherwise. We do things we would have never done otherwise. We can't think right. And I'm gonna tell you, it's happened to me. It's like, I mean, I, I know certain choices are bad choices, but when I'm filled with resentment, I could still be driven to do them, and so can you. Look at what Ecclesiastes 7.9 says. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. You know, that junk in there, don't let it make you make snap decisions for anger resides in the lap of fools. When we allow our spirit to be controlled by resentment, when we allow that to be the hidden reality of our lives, we play the fool no matter how smart or experienced or wise we've been in the past. Resentment's destructive and you need to know that resentment robs us of joy. I'll just use that one word to define everything that God has created us to experience in life. Resentment robs us of joy, of life, and life in all of its fullness. Look at Job 21, verses 23 to 25. One person dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease, well-nourished in body, bones rich with marrow. Another dies in bitterness. There's that room of resentment. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. This is why you can have everything in the world. You can have a grand mansion of a life and be absolutely miserable because in the hidden, buried rooms of your life is only darkness and all the great things of this world will never bring you joy. And I'm gonna tell you, those of us who are seeking joy and life and fullness through the things of life and the successes of life and the relationships of life are seeking in all the wrong things because it's not in the external parts of our house where we'll find it. It's in the deep inner rooms of our life and only Jesus can make those joyful. The most unhappy and lonely people I know are those who are filled with anger and resentment. And I'll, I have to be really honest, the times that I have been 
the most unhappy are the times when I have allowed myself to live in a room made up of resentment. How sad that we allow hurt that we can't control to rob us of the joy of life which ultimately because of what Jesus has done for us we can control. Isn't that sad? You need to know that resentment literally tears us apart on the inside. It doesn't matter how beautiful it is on the outside. Resentment tears us apart on the inside. Job 18.4, you who tear yourself to pieces in your anger. Resentment's a destructive force and it's alive in all of our lives and it grows as we focus on our hurts, which is why so many of us have so many rooms filled with resentment. And you're not alone. We're all in the same thing as human beings. I have to tell you, I began learning about the destructive force of resentment in my life as a young man pastoring my very first church. And I have to tell you, if, you, if you've been at Northridge for a while, I, look it, you've heard this story. Can I, can I just tell you a couple of things? Here's the first thing. I can't make up new stories just for your convenience. You know, I mean, I wish I could, but I, if I could make up stories, that'd be awesome. They'd, my stories would be better, but I can't. And you know, you can still get something from a story you've heard because of the different angles they take. And this story really does speak to this issue. And the second thing I want to say about this is, I don't want you to think that my last story dealing with resentment happened a long time ago when I was a young man pastoring my first church. The reason I can share this story is because it's far enough away that by sharing it publicly, I'm not hurting anybody, I'm not attacking anybody. I've had many issues with resentment and even to this day, wounds are being handed out. But see, I don't fight resentment by blasting people in public. And so, let's look at a story that can be a little bit more objective. And so Roxanne and I were called into this tiny little church of 18 people and we started pouring our lives into it. And we were excited to be in ministry. And everything was going great, it really was. I, I have to tell you, I mean, it had been 18 for a long time, this, this church, and within six months, we became a church of almost 100. We had had big days beyond that. In fact, we were getting ready to baptize 18 people. We were getting ready to baptize people who had come to faith, as many people as had attended that church for years. This was exciting stuff, and great things were going on, but, but the original 18 people didn't like it. I wasn't smart enough as a young leader to realize there was a reason this church had only had 18 people in it for a long time. And the reason was those 18 people didn't like anyone and anyone who met them didn't like them. So I had been invited in to be the pastor of a small community of hell. <laughs> it was crazy. They didn't like any of the new people. They didn't like that they were no longer the center of attention. They didn't like any of that. And so they decided that they wanted to get rid of me and they started an underground campaign to destroy my ministry and to push me out. And I have to tell you, the 18 had more power than all the rest because they had owned the thing originally and I hadn't been there long enough, so it worked, their little crusade. And I ultimately resigned after getting a lot of counsel and thinking it was the wise thing to do. And I have to tell you, the Sunday morning I resigned, I, there was weeping all over the auditorium, these new people, their lives were changing, they'd finally found a church that they wanted to be a part of, and I was resigning. And it was an emotional moment, and one of the elders of that church, during his closing prayer, he got up to close the service in prayer, and, and, and I, I kid you not, this was his prayer. Thank you, God, for removing our problem. I went into the basement of my life and I thought of some new hand gestures I wanted to give at that particular moment. I mean, it was cruel. It was cruel. We were packing to leave and another leader came to me and said, you know, Brad, you're a really good speaker, but you're a horrible pastor and so I recommend you never become a pastor again. 
I was pretty sure he had the gift of encouragement. Um, <laughs> I was pretty positive about that. But I want you to know, I mean, very hurtful things. And initially, I just threw my hands up and said, I don't need this. I don't need it. The only reason I was in ministry was because Jesus had changed my life and I wanted to share Jesus with other people. But if this is what it meant, then forget it, screw it. But to make a long story short, the key is that with God's help, I didn't have to be trapped in a mind, a room of resentment. He helped me deal with those feelings and I was able to break free from it. And if I hadn't, I wouldn't be experiencing any of the joys that I experienced today. In fact, without that bitter experience, I wouldn't be the pastor I am today because I've learned a lot. I've become more through that painful time than I would have ever become during all the positive times of life. God did with that time what only God can do. He turned it into something good, but unfortunately, too many people allow their bitter experiences to make them bitter rather than properly dealing with them and allowing them to make them better. Let's be honest, bitter experiences are bitter experiences. They're bitter, but they don't have to make us bitter. We have to properly deal with and break free from those things before they leak out all over the place, before they write the lyrics of our lives. So what I want to do with the last part of this talk is I want to share with you how in this world of pain with hurts, you can tear down the walls of resentment that you've built the rooms of your life out of and you can experience the life and life to the full that Jesus has for you. If we're going to escape, the application is if we're going to escape the destructive force of resentment, then it starts by owning up to the hurt. We have to own up to the hurt. Job 7.11, he says, therefore, this is Job who overcame the resentment. He had resentment, he had anger, but ultimately the walls came down and his relationship with God was rebuilt. Look at what he does. He says, therefore, I will not keep silent. I'm not going to build a private room within. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to fill my basement with all my junk. Instead, I will speak out in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. And you know what he teaches me? He teaches me that we don't have to sanitize our feelings. He wasn't speaking out in this little pious spiritual language like, God is so good, everything is so good. He, he was speaking out in the anguish of his spirit. He was complaining, but he wasn't bearing it. He was bringing it out. And even though he said some horrible things and his relationship with God was contentious for a while, because he owned up to his hurt, God was able to speak into his life and renew his life and rebuild the rooms of his life. We have to own up to our hurt. James 5.16 says that if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, then we have this chance of being healed. Let me ask you, are, are you keeping anything destructive under wraps in your life? Are you throwing all the junk into these little private rooms because you'd hate to say anything of, of a bitter spirit kind like Job did? You need to know you're either going to own up to it so that God can build a new room in your life or it's going to destroy your life and start leaking out and destroying everything you touch. Own up to your herd. If we're going to escape the destructive force of resentment in our life, then we have to learn how to forgive by being forgiven. Forgiveness is essential because the only way we can tear down the walls of hurt in our life and rebuild new rooms is by, is by forgiving those who have hurt us, by moving past them, no longer letting them control us, but we'll never do that until we experience being forgiven. It's impossible to forgive until we've been forgiven. Look at how the Bible says in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, but he doesn't stop there. Yeah, we're supposed to forgive. It's the only way we can get past the resentment, but here's how you do it. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you've not experienced forgiveness, you can never learn how to forgive. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It starts with us being forgiven because you know what I found about my little experience in that church? I was trying to blame them for everything. 
But much of my bitterness and resentment came because I knew the reality in the hidden rooms of my life that I had blown it too, that I had made mistakes too, that I had gone by about it the wrong way too, that I wasn't as great a leader as I'd like to think I was. And, and until I could own up to my role and be forgiven, I couldn't ever let them off the hook. The only way I could escape the pain of my own failures was by beating up other people. This is why I've... I don't like angry people who are in my face, but I've learned to respond differently to angry people who get in my face because I realize their greatest anger is at themselves. And I'm just helping to relieve the pain. And then once we, we start experiencing being forgiven, then we can forgive those who've hurt us. And if we're going to escape the destructive force of resentment, then we're going to have to forgive those who have hurt us. It's a must. Look at Job 42.10. This is a great verse. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And I don't build too much out of that thing. It's not like if you, know, you pray for your friends, you're going to be the richest person on the planet. I've tried. It just hasn't worked for me. It's not what this is about at all. It's, you know what happened? He was a rich man before. God gave him back his life and his success. And, but but not until he could pray for his friends. What, what are you doing when you pray for your friends? Look at, he wasn't trying to destroy them, he was trying to build them. He wasn't trying to take from them, he was trying to add to them. He wasn't trying to get even with them, he was praying for them. He had forgiven them. And that's when God could build new rooms in his life. Look at Romans 12, verses 19 to 21. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So on the contrary, this is how we're supposed to live. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to realize that when we focus on the person that hurts us, we're allowing that person to control us. You know that, right? And, and here's the sad reality. We move towards what we focus on. Have you ever noticed that, that there are people who absolutely hate their parents, can't say enough bad about their parents, and then they become exactly like their parents? Have you noticed that? It's because we become like what we focus on, and when you focus on your hurts, you become a hurtful person. But when we focus on God, we can become more like him. And here, here's the verse, I think, that can kind of capstone the whole talk. Look at Colossians 3, 1 and 2, and then verse 15. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts couple of things I want you to see about that passage before I give you my thought on it. The first one, this is written to people who have already experienced the powerful redemption of Jesus in their life. It's written to those who have already been raised with Christ. It's been written, it's written to people who have experienced the powerful forgiveness that comes when we put our trust in the death of Jesus for our sin and experience his forgiveness. It's written to people who've already experienced the, the reshaping and remaking of their life because of the resurrection since you've already been raised with Christ. But then it's weird. He says, you've got to put your heart in a different place and you've got to put your mind in a different place. Do you realize it's possible to have been made new by Jesus but to keep your heart set on the same crap it was on before? Do you realize that it's possible to be made new in Jesus, but to have your, your mind still living out the rooms that were built before you were forgiven? And so he's saying, listen, once you come to faith, you have to then set your heart on things above, not on things down here. Your, your mind on things above, not down here. And this is why we stay messed up even though we follow Jesus and then you know what we do we get mad at God and we say it doesn't work and he doesn't work no we haven't changed anything which means if we're going to escape the destructive force of resentment we have to refocus our hearts and minds on God and his truth because what happens when we refocus our hearts and minds on God's truth instead of on the hurts and things we've experienced in this world is 
the peace of Christ rules in our heart. And let me just tell you right now, the peace of Christ ruling in your heart is very different than resentment. The most inner room of our lives in Christ should be decorated with the peace of Christ. And if the inner rooms of our lives are decorated with the peace of Christ, our lives will be unencumbered by all the darkness, by all the junk, by all of the pain, and we will be free to experience joy and hope and purpose. We'll be free to invest our love in others because we won't be desperate to get the love of others. It will change our lives, but the reason we don't is because the inside rooms of our lives are filled with all the wrong stuff. We have to refocus our hearts and minds on Christ. What's the innermost room of your life filled with? The peace of Christ or something else? Then this is the moment that you need to refocus your heart and mind and confess it and reset yourself. But there are some here who've never even experienced Jesus' forgiveness. I mean, you haven't owned up to your own hurts and failures and sin. You haven't confessed it to him. You haven't put your faith in Jesus' death for your sin and his resurrection to give you new life. You haven't been forgiven and so there's no way you can be forgiving and you're certainly not going to experience these rooms being ripped down and new ones built until you make the choice. And this is your moment. Just before I finish this talk, I'm going to ask you if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer and this is true of all of our campuses, Brighton and Groceal and Celine here in Plymouth. Maybe you're watching somewhere around the world online. Just bow your hearts and heads in prayer just for a moment, would you? And if you're a believer, I hope you're talking to God about this issue in your life. But if you're ready to know Jesus, would you pray with me? Just take my words and make them yours and just quietly to Jesus say, Jesus, I just need you to make me new. The inner parts of my life filled with my sin and my failure and my guilt. And so right now, I'm putting my faith in your death on the cross and your resurrection, and I'm asking you to forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. When you refocus on God's truth, with your hearts and minds, it changes everything. And if you just prayed with me, I just, I can't encourage you enough. Would you please let me know? Uh, in fact, we make it so easy. If you're in one of our campus settings, we give you these programs when you come in. All you have to do is take the program out. And on the inside is this little thing. It's clearly identified as a connection card. It's a little perforated deal. Just rip it out. And if you fill this out, there's a question that says, you prayed with me just now. And I check that thing off. And there are boxes at every exit. It's so easy. Throw it in there. And here's what we want to do. We want to give you some information about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And, and uh, we also want to give you a Bible if you just prayed with me. And all you have to do is fill this out and let us know. Would you do that at all of our campuses? And if you're watching online, hit the what next button and we'll do the same thing for you. I also want to encourage you, if you've taken steps in your spiritual life, but you've never been baptized, you saw it in the announcement earlier in the service. Our big annual Northridge baptism event is coming the end of June. I am so, it's my favorite, favorite annual event, seeing hundreds of people baptized. And we'd love to have you baptized here as well. And so if you're at one of our regional campuses, just go to the lobby. And we have people there that can tell you about baptism, how you can become a part. You can go to northridgechurch.com backslash baptism and find out about it as well. It's going to be great. And I hope the whole church is there to celebrate it. Uh, the last weekend of June. And finally, if, if God's speaking to you and you'd like to pray with someone or talk to someone, we have a prayer team that meets up front after the service. And so when I say goodbye, they're up here. I hope you'll come and let them minister to you. But, but here's what I want you to see. When, when we refocus our hearts and minds on God's truth, the walls of the rooms of resentment come down and God builds new walls. And let's go back to my story as a young pastor. I had the choice to believe what those elders said or to believe what God said, to focus on what the elders said or what God said. And one of the elders said, I was the problem. And you know, it would be easy to believe. Some of you believe that about yourself. But let me tell you, God made it clear that I wasn't their problem. Now, I am a problem. That's a whole different issue. <laughs> I have my own problems, no doubt. I wasn't their problem. 
their anger and their bitterness, their resentment came from all kinds of other things. And when, when I was removed, their problem stayed. And I started believing the truth that I wasn't their problem, that I wasn't the failure, that I wasn't the mess up. I had things to learn, but I believed God's truth and the walls came down of resentment. The other one said that I, I was a horrible pastor, I should never be a pastor, but you know what God's truth was? Simple as this, no Brad, you don't deserve it, no Brad, you're not perfect, and no Brad, you'll always be flawed, but I called you to be a pastor. That was his truth. And I was gonna follow his truth. And I just want you to know, in following his truth, I have found his joy, and the same is true with you. I don't know what people have told you to be the truth about you, but I do know the truth God has spoken about you, and that's the truth that will set you free, and my prayer is you'll walk in it. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody.